Reformed and evangelical, confessional and missional, this is Creeds and Deeds. The word of the Lord from Psalm 46. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alameth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear the earth, or though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the cities of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of God, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of our Lord. Today's Advent reading is from Micah 5, verse 2, which says, uh, sorry. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, You, or who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. And the name of the reading is A Ruler from Bethlehem. According to legend, King Arthur lies on the mystical island of Avalon, waiting to return to rescue Britain at her hour of greatest need. One day... The darkest of days, Britain's once and future king will appear. Arthur is, of course, mythological. But the prophet Micah knew of a true king whose origins were from old and who would come unexpectedly to rescue his people. Micah, a contemporary of Isaiah, spoke God's word to Israel at a time of great danger. Due to the sin of both Samaria and Judah, the Israelites would suffer a devastating attack. The mighty Assyrian Empire would sweep in and conquer God's people. Samaria would be left as a heap in the open country, and disaster would even come to the gate of Jerusalem. Much of the blame rested on the leaders of Israel. These leaders, far from protecting and providing for their people, had become cannibal-like, killing and devouring. They eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin off from them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. No wonder that years later the prophet Jeremiah would summarize Micah's message by quoting one of his most foreboding predictions, Micah of... Morsheth prophesied, Zion shall be plowed as a field, Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house a wooded height. Into this dark, dangerous world, Micah spoke not only words of judgment, but of hope. In our verse, this hope centers on on a humble place and a heavenly ruler. A humble place. 
But you, begins Micah's good news, Samaria is in rubble, Jerusalem is in ruins, but for someone there's hope. Strangely, that someone is not a person, but a place, Bethlehem Ephrathah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. Rather than from mighty Jerusalem, the capital of Judah, with its royal palace, the rescuer king, would come from the humble Bethlehem. Bethlehem was nowhere, a small town just northwest of Jerusalem. Yet sometime around 700 to 730 BC, Micah prophesied that this backwater village would become the birthplace of the Messiah. And so it came to pass. In Matthew's Gospel, we read that Jerusalem was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. In the providence of God, the Roman Empire emperor had issued an order that every citizen was to return to his hometown, and so Mary and Joseph left Nazareth to travel to Bethlehem. The emperor may have been planning a head count, but God was ensuring that his word was through Micah would be fulfilled. Just as in the days of Micah, Israel had greedy, vicious ruler. Herod the Great would reveal himself to be another cannibal king. When he commanded the slaughter of all the male children in Bethlehem, he would, and he would father Herod Antipas, who later served up the head of John, Baptist, John the Baptist on a platter. But amid the darkness, the king had come. In fact, Micah's prophecy is quoted when Herod asks the chief priests and scribes where the Christ is supposed to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they answered, for so it was written in the prophet, a heavenly ruler. But Micah tells us more than just the birth, a place of the ruler. We also learn his family origins. This ruler will be one whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. What is Micah telling us about Christ? Given that the prophecy is addressed to Bethlehem, it is likely in, first, in the first place that this is an allusion to that town's most famous son, King David, the founding father of Israel's kingly line, a born, who was born in Bethlehem many years before Micah's prophecy. This future ruler would come from this root. Jesus is the descendant of David, the king from old. He has ancient royal blood. But I think Micah is telling us more. Christ's origins are far older than David, Abraham, or even creation itself. Psalm 74, 12, 12 tells us that God is my king, God my king is from of old, using the same expression that Micah uses to describe Christ. Micah is hinting that Jesus' origins are not just Davidic, but divine. He is God, the Son, and as God, he has no beginning. He has always existed. So far from the corridors of power, Jesus, descended from David through his adoptive father Joseph, was born in Bethlehem. God himself came to rule and rescue. He looked unimpressive. His birthplace was inauspicious. But this is always God's way. Through the weak and foolish message of the cross comes rescue from sin, a far greater threat than Micah's Assyrians. And how fitting that Bethlehem means house of bread, an appropriate birthplace for the one who, in stark contrast to Herod and the cannibal king of Micah's day, came to feed his people. The bread of life lying in a manger, a feeding trough in the house of bread. This was written by Doctor, or sorry, by Reverend Jaunty Edward or Rhodes, and he's a minister of Christ Church Central Leeds in Leeds, England. He is author of Covenants Made Simple: Understanding God's Unfolding Promises to His People.
today for Learn the Faith, we're looking at question 43 of the New City Catechism. Question, what are the sacraments or ordinances? Answer, the sacraments or ordinances given by God and instituted by Christ, namely baptism and the Lord's Supper, are visible signs and seals that we are bound together as a community of faith by his death and resurrection. By our use of them, the Holy Spirit more fully declares and seals the promises of the gospel to us. Scripture proof, Romans 6, 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And Luke 22, 19-20. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Hi, thanks for joining me today for Theology Thursday. Uh, I'm your host, Al, and this is Creeds and Deeds. Today, we are for Theology Thursday, we're looking at uh, Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion, the abridged edition, uh, book one, chapter six. And this is, based, this is about the fact that Scripture is needed as guide and teacher for anyone who would come to God the Creator. So the first section that he says is, God bestows the actual knowledge of himself upon us only in scriptures. And then he says, although that it is evident through creation, through uh, nature, and through mankind, that there must be a creator. And God has made it so evident that no man can claim excuse or claim ignorance that he didn't know about the God, uh, or about that there is a God, I mean. Uh, Even though that that is the case, uh, God only gives clear view of who he is and teaches the exact nature of who he is through the Holy Scriptures. And uh, John Calvin used a little example to explain this, and I liked it, so I'm going to read this. Just as old or bleary-eyed men and those with weak vision, if you thrust before them a most beautiful volume, even if they recognize it to be some sort of writing, yet can scarcely construe two words— but with the aid of spectacles, will begin to read distinctly. So it is with Scripture, gathering up the otherwise confused knowledge of God in our minds, having dispersed our dullness, clearly shows us the true God. This, therefore, is a special gift, where God, to instruct the church, not merely uses mute teachers, but also opens his own most hollowed lips." Um, and then the word of God as Holy Scripture. But whether God became known to the patriarchs through oracles and visions or by the work and ministry of men, he put it into their minds what they should hand, then hand down to their posterity. At any rate, there is no doubt, doubt that firm certainty of doctrine was engraved in their hearts so that they were convinced and understood that what they had learned proceeded from God. For by his word, God and rendered faith unambiguous forever, a faith that should be superior to all opinion. Therefore, however fitting it may be for man seriously to turn his eyes to contemplate God's works, since he has been placed in this most glorious theater to be a spectator of them, it is fitting that he prick up his ears to the word, the better to profit, 
Now, in order that true religion may shine upon us, we ought to hold that it must take its beginning from heavenly doctrine, and that no one can get even the slightest taste of right and sound doctrine unless he be a pupil of Scripture. Hence, there also emerges the beginning of true understanding when we reverently embrace what it pleases God there to witness of himself, but not only faith, perfect and in every way complete, but all right knowledge of God is born of obedience. And surely in this respect, God has by his singular providence taken thought for mortals through all the ages. So that section there pretty much was saying that, uh, you know, there's... Uh, all like like it's been saying in the last few weeks, all of creation testifies to God. Like everybody, any person, no matter where they are in the world, can look in creation. They can see a tree. They can see the complexity of something as little as the human eye, and they can know there must be a creator. But we can't know who the true creator is. Uh, we can't know about him unless he reveals it to himself. And so he's spoken to us. And uh, if you think about it, there's 7 billion people on the planet. If every single person was able to, or tried to just look at creation and uh, turn their eyes to creation and try to figure out who they think God is, you'd have 7 billion different gods. Uh, But that's not the case. And so what he's saying here is, is that you need to be a pupil of scripture. You need to understand scripture and read it daily so that you can understand who God is. And it's not your mind or your thoughts or your... Uh, even the things that you learn from other people that's teaching you what God, who God is, but that you're learning directly from his word. All right, and then the next section. Without scripture, we fall into error. It is therefore clear that God has provided the assistance of the word for the sake of all those to whom he has pleased to give useful instruction because he foresaw that his likeness imprinted upon the most beautiful form of the universe would be insufficiently effective. Hence, we must strive onward by this straight path if we seriously aspire to, peer, to the pure contemplation of God. We must say, we must come, I say, to the word where God is truly and vividly described to us from his works. While these very works are appraised, not by our depraved judgment, but by the rule of the eternal truth. Um, so <laughs> that's funny, like reading that, just how, you know, we shouldn't, we can't do this, um, even though that, you know, his likeness is imprinted on nature, because we are, our minds are so deprived, depraved and our judgment is messed up. We can't understand by our own minds uh, who God is. And it just reminds me of, like, Oprah Winfrey and um, all of the, you know, spiritual New Age gurus and yoga and all of that stuff that's teaching you to just, you know, get into your mind and understand the true you and be enlightened and all of that stuff. And, like, you can't know external from inside your own mind. Like, you can't know the truth of the universe from just your own mind, because first of all, your mind is limited. Like you can only see what you experience and your experience may not be truth. But then further than that are we're fallen. We've, and no matter what religion in the world, they know that there's something wrong with us and we're fallen. And because of that, there's no way that we could understand truth in our fallen nature. It has to be taught to us from some external non-fallen force. And the only one that is that is the creator, is God himself. So that's why he gives us his word to teach us. 
And then the last section just says, uh, Scripture can communicate to us what revelation in the creation cannot. And so that's, once again, like you can look at, you can go out and look at the stars and you can see how great God is. You can look at every blade of grass and you can see how intimate God is with like the details of creation. You can see how every snowflake is uh, uh, individually designed and no two snowflakes are alike and know how just, um, uh, what's it called, like detailed God is. But we can never understand what God did for us in his son, Jesus. We can't understand how he created us. We can't understand his omnipresence or any of that without external revelation coming from God through his word. Uh, This has been uh, Theology Thursday. Thank you guys for joining me and hope to see you again tomorrow for Faithful Friday. And now will you join me in prayer? Good morning, Heavenly Father. Good morning, Lord Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, I worship you as the creator and sustainer of the universe. Lord Jesus, I worship you, Savior and Lord of the world. Holy Spirit, I worship you, sanctifier of the people of God. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, I pray that I may live this day consciously in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day I may take up my cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray that today you will fill me with yourself. Cause cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Holy, blessed, and glorious Trinity, three persons in one God, have mercy upon me. God, we can't discern our errors. I can't discern my errors. So will you acquit me of hidden faults? Also, will you keep me back from presumptuous sins? Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, and you will acquit me of great transgression in your son Jesus who died on the cross for me. And God, through you, then we continually offer up our sacrifice of praise to you. With our lips we say thank you. We give thanks to your name, for your name is great. And God, with our good deeds that we do and sharing with one another, We are sacrificing to you. We are giving a sacrifice of praise to you and thanking you. So let every good deed be a thanksgiving to you, a a fragrant offering, a sacrifice that we give you that you are pleased with. Thank you, God, for all that you've done for us. Thank you for your great name. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that you filled us with. And God, in the spirit knows our weaknesses and sometimes god we just don't know how to pray but your spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words and he searches our hearts and he knows what's in our mind and he intercedes for us according to your will so god whatever the prayers we need whatever supplications that we have today whichever whatever i need lord will you fill me or will you do that for me Will you use the Holy Spirit to bring to mind the things that I should pray for? And through the Holy Spirit, 
may your will be done, God, in my life. Thank you, God, for today. Together with the saints, all of us pray, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening to Creeds and Deeds today. Remember, I'm not ordained and I'm not a pastor. So if you're a Christian listening to my podcast, you need to be in church on Sunday. Oh, come behold the works of God, the nations at his feet. He breaks the bow and bends the spear and tells the wars to cease. Almighty one of Israel, you are on our side. We walk by faith in God who burns the chariots with fire. Lord of hosts, you